it's nothing personal for me. It's just business. The streets of Baltimore, on the streets of Detroit, during the, the 60s in New York City. Immediately within it, you are going to get those people whose differences are not being articulated, which is right us. So, you expecting any backlash? Oh, I'm already getting it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> How does that feel? Welcome to the Exit the Matrix podcast. I am Amin Drew Law, a.k.a. Amin TMK, a.k.a. Amin Yahabibi plus size model. I'm back in the place to be. I have not just one, 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 but two, two, two of the most incredible human beings on the planet, Emoja the Moment somewhere. And Keita Marshall is is coming, is with us today just to participate. Can we give her a big round of applause? Yeah, I just want to say one, one, one is three, two, two, two is six. So that's It was an that echo. Weird. An echo. Oh. Do you understand what I'm saying? You know, like Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. You don't know anything. <laughs> you don't know anything. It's true. I'm a know nothing. Keita, do you have anything that you want to say right now? Do you... No. Hello, everybody. Poll numbers on you joining us? Very high right now. Very high right now. Um, <laughs> you can see that already. Yeah. Um, of course, we have. And you know, our, our, our data over here is like, you know, next level. That we try to yeah, compete. Did just call me an android? I mean, I mean, can data. I at least be six on six is nine? I gotta be data. I stay woke. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man, let's jump into this. Let me tell you why you're here. You're here because you know something. What you know you can't explain, but you feel it. That there's something wrong with the world. You don't know what it is, but it's there, like a splinter in your mind. If you've been watching us in this first season, you know. We've been heavy on the geopolitics just on season two. That's just when, you know, we go where the news is. We go where we need to be because we are servants of the people. So uh, if you know, if you're following the news, there's a lot going on in the news. How can you follow the news in America? Uh, Legit question. What would you do? What would you recommend? Like if you're not watching our podcast and you're a regular dude. I think we've spoken on it before. I think. I listen to podcasts like um, the Real News Network. You know what I'm saying? We watch the Caspian Reports. You know, right, right. I watch, you know, Vox here and there. Um, you know, uh, there's a couple other joints. Uh, Loud and Clear is a podcast I listen to. You know, I listen to a lot of science podcasts. And sometimes, you know, I click on to see what the Schmegulers are doing on CNN and Fox and MSNBC. You know, just to see what they're up to to know my enemy type shit. That shit is a net waste of my time, bro. Like, I tried recently. And, like, you know, the shit I'm supposed to love. Like, I'm watching MSNBC, and this shit is terrible, bro. Like, it's all, it's it's liberal propaganda. Yeah, like, it's all ideology. You know what I'm saying? Straight up. And it's like, wow, it just blows my mind so much because it's 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 no longer news. We, we recognize this on the left, right, for Fox immediately. Like, oh, these are all just people's opinions. That's all all American news is, is news products. Yeah, it's rhetoric. It's here's a subject. Now we're going to use these pundits to give you rhetoric. And that's right. so that's all it is. It's right. just news and then spin. There's never just right. news available for you, you like, know? Like, tell me what happened, but don't tell me how to feel about what happened. That's funny considering media now is literally considered entertainment in the U.S. Right, right. Yeah, it's I all ratings-based. Shit may as well be the fucking WWE, man. <laughs> Did you, know? you ever did you ever see that uh, that show Newsroom? No, but no. I've seen some clips. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's got some problematic shit in it, but it mainly the. I mean, actually, we should watch it. That it's was the a, one with the speech, right? Where he's like, 
America's well, not how the do greatest. we grade of if America's great? Yeah, I remember I seen that clip. Yeah, that was it went around Tumblr. I'm sure you saw it. Oh, uh, wow, why are you pushing <laughs> out there I like that? So the people need to know this old mother. Every time I say, oh, you're not on Tumblr? Oh, bro, you got to get on Tumblr. That's you, this neck ass over here. Every five minutes. I, every time I try to go on the Tumblr, you send me something on Tumblr, I go on there. It's like, don't you want to sign up for Tumblr? And I'm like, I don't know, maybe I don't should. Don't you, money? It's free. Look, um, it's seven people left. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of cool shit on Tumblr. Anyway, what were we talking about? We were talking about like real news products. Oh, yeah. So you know what I'm saying? let's be, let's keep it a stack. I mean, we are Leos, and of course, you know, this is a Leo moment. But if you want to get really caught up, <laughs> motherfucker, you need to be fucking with us. But also more than us, right? Because that's that's the problem. But you start with us. I'm saying you start with us. Don't we always say, do your own research? Do yeah. your own research. All we're doing is talking about the things that we think are important. Right. And if you want, you should create your own narratives, you know? It's just we paint a beautiful picture just because, you know, we just we drip like that. So the story of the week. Let's get to the actual news story. Right. <laughs> <laughs> this was all lead up. <laughs> yeah, no, we needed this. So America has pulled, I believe, it's anywhere from one to 3,000 troops away from Syria. And uh, the story is how this has abandoned the Kurdish resistance movement and how could this happen, right? It's all over MSNBC. It's all over, you know, um, CNN, even so, Fox. So I think there's two parts of this, right? Like the first thing is I kind of do want to address sort of Trump's rhetoric, you know, because... Donnie J is becoming more air Cheeto every day. Oh, you know? facts, like, facts. He's ramping that fascism up right now. I think there was a tweet or some shit over here. He was like, as I have stated strongly before, just to reiterate, if Turkey does anything, I'm not going to do an accent, but if Turkey does anything that I, in my great and unmatched wisdom, consider to be off limits, I will totally destroy and obliterate the economy of Turkey, parentheses, I've done it before. And what he's talking about is this is like sort of his rhetoric just to say like, you know, like, oh, if, if Turkey does something, I'm going to I'm going to come get you. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. Right. The audacity of that. Now, what's interesting to me is I hear a statement like that and it sounds like the kind of rhetoric that they tell you you hear from places like North Korea. You know what I'm saying? Like that kind of ultimate bravado, that ultimate. But we're seeing this in straight up, quote unquote, uh, democratic republics like the United States. That statement to me is less bothersome. The tone has dangerous implications. But what's interesting to me is this is the follow through on a promise that he made months ago. I mean, this is literally why uh, General Mad Dog Mattis left. It's because Trump said, I'm going to remove the troops from Syria. But to me, as an anti-war person, my first thought is Congress has not declared war on Syria so that's an undeclared war. The nation of Syria has not invited United States troops to be there. We literally, there's no UN mandate to be there. What the fuck are their troops there for well, in the, the first place? Right, that's what I'm saying. So the narrative, the neoliberal narrative, the MSNBC narrative is sort of like he's abandoned the Kurdish forces. Like, how could you do such a thing? And it is because, like, there is there is some quid pro quo kind of surrounding it, like, oh, uh, the Kurdish people were there, like fighting the the Daesh and, and like whatever. It's ISIS. Daesh ISIS, is ISIS, ISIS, yes, yeah. ISIS. Sorry, and um, you know, it's like how could they, how could they leave and all these different things, and that's sort of the narrative that I think the the, the neoliberal side is is going. But but I agree with you. I think in any situation, especially with the United States and uh, just sort of the military complex that we deal with, 
I just feel like anytime we pull troops out of a place, I just can't be like upset at that. No, not at all. And I and the, the left is like refusing to acknowledge. I, I would say liberals. Li- I would say sorry, liberals, liberals, liberals yeah. neoliberals. You know what I mean? Yeah, but, absolutely. Neoliberals are like we're we've got to be there for. First off, let's talk about what it means to be there for the Kurdish, right? So the Kurds are an ethnic minority that are spread out between three different nations. They're spread between Iraq, huge population of Kurds live in Iraq, Syria, and Turkey. Now, the Kurds do not have a nation state. They want to create, essentially, a Kurdistan. But to do that, they will have to take land from Iraq, from Syria, and from Turkey. Now, you can understand why this would be something that the Turkish people, the Turkish government, would have a huge problem. To have autonomy for the Kurds means to literally cede away part of Turkey's sovereign land. The, the equivalent would be if Chicanos in, in, in California were like, well, we're not Mexicans, we're Chicanos, we're not really Americans, we're Chicanos, and California should be... Chicanalan. Yeah, it doesn't seem... Nuastlan. Um, it seems sort of like an issue bigger than like the conversation of one country like holding this particular thing down. It seems like a conversation that if were to happen, which would be difficult, like you said, we we're mentioning three whole countries. Three it would have to whole be countries. a UN situation. Of, Absolutely. Uh, you know, and it's not... And the United States just can't be a substitute for the world like that. It can't dominate, you know, militarily in that way. So like when people mention you know the military serving me like the police of the world this is sort of where that's at so right. why isn't it the same energy you know you can get drunk on success i think about that right what was it joshua wilder who fought andy ruiz where like you're just so used to knocking motherfuckers out that you feel like that's gonna be the situation of everything america our military is drunk on success in this generation and it wasn't that long ago right that there was like a real kind of like well no nah, shit can go either way like gen x we're past the age of like we didn't get to go to fucking uh, Vietnam, but it's in a it's a fresh wound in America. So everybody remembers this time when America went to war, and you know at the very least it was non um, non decisive. After Gen X, the millennial generation, American wars have been hyper decisive, and so you assume that that's the way it's always going to be. You get drunk on success, but one thing that a lot of people don't know right now, look, Turkey. A NATO ally, so there's one thing, the United States is obligated by contractual law to come to the defense or at the very least get the fuck out of the way of a NATO member's actions. But let's say that didn't exist. Out of all of the NATO states, Turkey has the second largest standing army. Second, guess to, guess to who? China? The United States. China is not part of fucking NATO. <laughs> sorry, sorry. I had a brain fart moment when you asked China me is not part of fucking NATO. Right. But that I means, choose the United States. Uh, right? We'll fix it in post. Right, 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 right. <laughs> <laughs> right? That means they have a larger standing army than France. A larger standing army than Britain. Yeah. You, you know what I'm saying? That's a big army. They're ranked the 14th most powerful military in the world. Now, we're ranked number one, but you know what? The 14th rank motherfucker can hurt you. That's a fight you have to take serious. Yeah. It's not like, oh, we're going to go in and, you know, we're going to impose our will on a fucking tribal state like Afghanistan. This is a very different thing. These are people with contemporary weapons, modern weapons, the best weapons money can buy because you sell them to them. 
and also the Russians sell them. It's a big deal. Like, when you're talking about free the fucking Kurds, you're talking about fight the fucking Turks. That's what that means, reframed. I'm not willing to do that. I'm not willing to see a single person that looks like me have to go to fight for the autonomy of people that don't look like me, and those people are going to come back from fighting for those people, and the people that look like me are still going to get shot dead at fucking traffic stops. Another point that is not acknowledged when we have these conversations and the conversation that's happening with the Kurds right now is there are so many different uh, nations in the world that uh, participate in apartheid-like oppression Mm. for particular ethnic groups in that particular country. I mean, we don't have to look far. We can look right here in the United States and see that particular groups are pressed upon based off their demographics of not only is this things happening in Turkey, I mean, they're happening here in the United States. They're happening in all these different countries. And if you've seen Paid in Full, you know, Cameron says, you know, dudes die every day, B. And that's just the way the world works. And if you're not acknowledging that, as we're having this conversation with the Kurds, then really what are we talking about? And let's keep it moving, bro. Like, look, first off, I absolutely feel like any population that wants to fight for their autonomy has the right right. to do so. Mm -hmm. That does not mean I'm obligated to help you in this fucking fight. And since when the fucking do we care about these things? Like, when do Americans care about these things? Do We, we, don't, care, we don't care about the Palestinians it's just fighting that, to have a fucking neo-liberal nation. neoliberal rhetoric, man. It's we, we why the care. news isn't the news. Right? Why the news is, here's what's happening and here's what you should think about. Right? And it's, you have three options. Which one of these three would you like? Would right. you like right-wing uh, shit? Would you like uh, neoliberal shit? Or would you like a straight-up rhetoric fest in CNN? You know, right? like, that's all that it is. Right? So that's why this is even a news story. Motherfucker's been dying in Yemen for half a decade. <laughs> Where the fuck is the American outrage about when are we going to fucking help the fucking Yemeni? Doesn't happen because it's not a part of neoliberal or, you know, neocon or, you know, CNN rhetoric sandwiches that they can throw out there. It's not sensationalism. Just like we talked, it's not ratings builders. People don't want to know about the starvation that's happening in Yemen and how Saudi Arabia and and we're supporting them. That's that's not a feel-good rhetoric story. There's no way to go from there. Can we give them a nugget, though? Yeah, give them a nugget. So as everybody knows, right, we opened it by saying... The Americans pulled those troops back. Guess where those troops got sent? Where? The kingdom. Assad. Nice. Right. Yeah. So, so when you look at what's happening to me, right, it seems like a very simple redeployment because they're trying to engage who they think their next opponent is going to be. They really don't give a fuck what happens in Syria yeah, they're one way or the other. They're, they're, on, they're on to it on. That's the big fish right there. There it that's is. Who, that's who they want. Um, all right, so can we, um, Kim, do we have something, Keita, do we have something next um, up there? Do we have, can you give us what's next? Yep, what's next is thoughts on current political landscape, Trump's fascist rhetoric, and the Democratic race update. That's such a, thank you. That was such a good introduction. Um, I just think, uh, like, there's going to be a lot of conversation surrounding this if you, like, pay attention to the news cycle just because the news cycle is ridiculous and the political world that we live in is a dystopian, you know, ridiculous mess so I, I'm just kind of trying to throw it out there, like the political landscape that exists right now. We know that there's an impeachment inquiry still going on. And I just wanted to know, Mo Man, if you had, if you can hold your phone, get it together. <laughs> you get it together. I know your motor skills Can aren't you your high point. Um, just Over sort of like, this is, this is a me asking, this question can be for both of you. Just like in terms of the political landscape right now, like just what's existing right now all the day. And we haven't even talked about Rudy Giuliani and all these different things. Like, where is the political political landscape for I'll, you? I'll keep it one sentence. If they want 
this impeachment inquiry to move forward with any type of credibility or seriousness based about the implications of Joe Biden and his nepotist sons. Joe Biden needs to, for me to take this shit seriously, Joe Biden needs to, he needs to resign. Bow out. He needs to bow out. Straight up. Other than that, it seems like you think Joe Biden won't win, and so you need to dirty the, and I, I, fuck, fuck Cheeto, man. Fuck Cheeto. But this is the real politic of this shit. Either he did the shit or he didn't do the shit. It sounds to me like his son was making $50,000 a month in a, in a fucking oil company, right, that he has no fucking experience in. How the fuck did he get that except my daddy's name is Biden? And I, I have very serious concerns about any American politician that puts their kids in these kind of positions. We talk this kind of shit about Cheeto all the time. We know his kids don't fucking deserve this shit. But now, all of a sudden, it's not okay to talk about Cheeto's kids doing the grifting. But when it's fucking the dear Democrat, it's like, well, you know, it's just a part of statecraft. Eat a fucking dick. As long as, you know, a sentence, but, you know. <laughs> I think both of us knew that that was going to be longer than keeping it short. Yeah. I'm going to keep it short, dissertation. I'm, I, I, I for, forgive yourself, bro. We needed it. Yeah. We needed it. <laughs> Bow the fuck out, Biden. We really don't like you. No one, I will not ever, 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 ever. Vote for Joe Biden. I don't give a fuck the situation or the circumstances. This is a fucking neo-segregationist. He's polite fucking racism. He's the guy that calls me nigger after I fucking uh, leave from the dinner fucking party. Fuck this dude. Um, you, 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 did you have something to add? No, Peter? it's not good, I, uh, I, w- I wanted to just also update, you know what I'm saying, the, the podcast team and the listeners on where, where, where y'all think sort of the democratic nomin like the democratic nominee is going towards it feels like to me the mass like the 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 larger you know liberal media has sort of crowned Elizabeth Warren No not at all they're definitely still all in for fucking for Biden. Biden, you think? Yeah, yeah. they're all in for mm-hmm. Biden cuz like a whole bunch of stuff keeps coming up about Elizabeth Warren. I mean, we could talk about the gender dynamics of that, but at the end of the day most candidates. How about this? Those candidates that are getting celebrated are white people. Absolutely. <laughs> so where, like, I mean, if you had a, let's use your crystal ball, like, you know, in whatever it is. Like, I think this shit is a wash, bro. They're going to give it to Biden, no matter what they say. That's why that's who Cheeto is doing his research on right now. So my question is, didn't the Democrats just do this? Yeah, they always do. That's the whole point of the, the superdelegates. Yeah, I mean... Like how the primaries just, are just an illusion of fucking choice. This is just another reason why it can be so frustrating to have conversations with your friends about the Democrats and this like lesser of two evil uh, uh, ideology of conversation all the time when it's like you're watching a you know what I'm saying a, a faction a, a a party within the United States government just basically decide that voting is not important like the democracy your name is a democrat democrats you like live in a quote-unquote democracy like and you don't even voting doesn't even matter not at all look bro let's be honest bro if i didn't know anything about politics at all and i was just looking at these people based upon how they're marketed and who's interesting the only person that is less interesting than joe biden that is running for president is cory booker like, Judge is more interesting <laughs> as a person. Right. Uh, Beto is more interesting as a person. You know, Texas, almost billionaire, you know, kind of fucking Ronald Reagan-ass, Democrat-ass dude. You know, he's the, the face of young, white, quasi-liberal 
Democrats everywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Kamala Harris is more interesting as a story. Elizabeth Warren is more interesting. And then, you know, racist grandpa. All of these people, <laughs> all of these people are more interesting. They have more interesting stories. They have better packaging. No one is excited. No one, except for like the most deluded, you know, Obama vouch for this motherfucker ass, you know, Uncle Uncle Joe people. And they're like, well, we'll just be cool with him because Obama was cool with him. But no, even Obama hasn't fucking endorsed this fool, bro. That's a lot. Wow, I didn't even think of that. Obama I, has not even... officially endorsed Joe Biden. Yeah, that hasn't even entered my mind. That's that's an interesting tidbit right there I didn't think of. Um, and I... So can we end it right here? Sure. I just want to end it right here. Like, all, while all this ridiculous, you know, like, political backstabbing and all of these different House of Cards games that are happening, the world is still burning. No, right. You know what I'm saying? The world is still on fire. Yeah. You brought up fascism, right? And that's a term that's used a lot. And so, I mean, for the people that love us enough to listen, I just want you to have that fucking knowledge. Fascism is a political school of thought, right? More than just an insult for someone like, oh, you're a Nazi, which, by the way, also is a political school of thought. There are values that are associated with fascism, and it's important that we know them, right? Uh, I think it was in 2003, uh, the political science Dr. Lawrence Britt he wrote an article called Fascism Anyone. And, and everybody should read that shit. It's, it's, you know, it's fucking academic speaking. It's not, you know, it's not a fucking page turner. But like some, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like some, some fucking key takeaways from there was he broke up 14 characteristics of what makes up a fascist state. And I'm just going to read those for y'all real quick. 14 characteristics are passion, uh, powerful and continuing nationalism, disdain for the recognition of human rights, Identification of enemies, scapegoats as a unifying cause, supremacy of military, rampant sexism, controlled mass media, six companies, obsession with national security, religion and government are intertwined, corporate power is protected, labor power is suppressed, disdain for intellectuals and the arts, obsession with crime and punishment, Rampant cronyism and corruption, fraudulent elections. So we're, you know, what, 14 for 14? 14 for 14, and that's not something that changes whether you have a Republican or a Democrat, because neoliberalism always yields to fascism. I agree. I think we had a um, a podcast where we went over those two, but I'm I'm glad that you brought them back up. Um, I'm looking right here, and it's, uh, what's the next, what's next on our, our topic list here? I mean, PG&E Energy. So PG&E, a private company in California, is going to, what they're doing is, I'm sure their communications people probably called it a fancy word, but it's essentially rolling blackouts to turn off power to sections of California. But we all know that it's going to specifically target communities of color. What? I know. I would have never thought that. (laughs) I was sure Orange County was going to be first to experience it. Right, that they will be safe, and then all of the white counties are going to be fine. They're still going to have their power. Um, But the communication has been so poor that most folks don't even know when their power is going to get shut off and is going to happen over the course of weeks because PG&E won't make the safety uh, improvements that they were mandated by a judge to do. Wild. 
You remember when you, you were young and you were like, always be careful about the insults you give to somebody because they're really a reflection of the things that, that you kind of covet? You know what I'm saying? I just remember as a kid when, you know, where they were trying to tell me about the dangers of communism. Like, the state can't apply power to the people. You know, there are long lines. And, you know, you can, and that's all of the things that have come true under fucking late-stage capitalism. When you're telling me I can have my bills paid the fuck up, but I still got to worry about is my milk and my meat for the week going to go bad? Because it's not like the fucking grocery store is going to give me more fucking food. I mean, but beyond that, it's like medical life-saving equipment that people need electricity for. That PG&E is like, sucks to be you. And, of course, they have to set up emergency centers, but, of course, they haven't or they're sparsely staffed. So people don't even know where to go if they need help. If they need, like, life-saving medical help. So, you know, your power shut off. You don't have access to your cell phone because that shit died. And then you're <laughs> in a medical emergency. Get like, out type shit. Yeah. <laughs> right. And then pull the a, plug on that ass. Right. And you, like, have no means of helping. And, of course, this, what makes it worse, too, is that the state of California can't do anything about it. Even though electricity in this day and age is considered a right. <laughs> I mean, it's literally power. They're making the poor literally the powerless. There's one takeaway that I have from this. And it's interesting to me because we were talking about California being one of the states where solar energy would be most efficient because in Southern California, there is such an incredible amount of sun. And I always come back to this where I think, and maybe our <clears throat> the conversation around veganism and like really what it means to be an environmentalist in this world, like you also have to acknowledge one of the reasons why climate change is so prevalent is because white people have not found a way to commodify the sun. You literally have a situation where there is so much sunlight in Southern California, I just don't understand how power would ever be an issue. And you would think of California as this bastion for like environmental change and like you also think of it as like like a bastion for like left-wing kind of philosophies you know but once again we're having a conversation about black brown indigenous pocs that are not able to like access energy like what the fuck man no absolutely frustrating especially since we find that more and more of our public utilities and public rights are getting privatized which of course private companies don't want to invest in solar because they're like i'm not gonna get that much money from can't that commodify shit. the fucking right. sun you can't commodify the fucking sun i mean they, they've done it with water they're still trying to figure it out with the sun i mean the idea that you can have privatized water and a nation is like and you don't think that late stage capitalism is an effect uh, is affecting the, the the planet like that's just absurd it really is an absurdist reality to think that no, you can guys. privatize fucking water man yeah. you know we talk about traveling right and i've been uh this week i went to the uh smithsonian for the portraiture gallery you know it's one of my favorite places i love that place i love man. that fucking place yeah and i was looking at the statue of tecumseh right and i'm like this is a human being i should understand better and, like, spent up looking up his time. Like, this was a fucking Native American leader that was talking about, no, no one tribe has the right to sell our land, sell our water. You know, you may as well try to buy the sky, right? Little did he fucking know, man. <laughs> Little did he fucking know. But he knew. Well, they're commodifying space. So, right. I mean, like, right. clearly this is, like, water is like small potatoes to them. Right, and it, the argument that a lot of people would make about power, Right. Is that, 
well, you know, real estate is worth so much in California. But you know what? California has access literally to the Pacific Ocean, which has the same access to that light. And you could build, so that would be the best place to build solar farms, would be over a thousand acres of sea. And just allowing it to capture that sunlight 24-7. Anchoring that and relaying that power to fucking on-land stations, very easy to do. Cost nobody anything because, no, you know, m- you move some shipping routes. Woo. That's all it would take. And you could generate the kind of power that could sustain s- at least cities. But like you said, how do we make money off this? Plus, we can't deny, too, that a lot of this is happening because California is still dealing with the wildfires, too. Like, right. they, there's Damn, a lot right. of issues that are coming together Shit. here um, that are exacerbating this blackouts, that, these schedules. I, I can't believe you got to schedule fucking blackouts, but these schedule blackouts. And we can't take away the, the fucking natural disasters that California has been faced with, which makes PG&E's negligence even more horrific. They've had years to make these changes, to make these safety improvements and updates, again, mandated by a judge. Right. And they haven't. And so their solution is, well, we're just going to shut off power to everybody instead of fix our shit. It goes to the heart of what's at stake when we talk about what regulation and deregulation from a governmental agency looks like. Because this is why you cannot allow these corporations to self-regulate. Instead of taking the money that they had set aside to do the kind of repairs to make these power systems safe, they instead decided to pay out that money to dividends to their stockholders, which has literally created this entire scenario. They always talk about like, oh, you know, you got to pay your taxes, you know, who builds the roads and builds the schools. And it's like they don't even fucking do that. They don't even keep shit up to date. The infrastructure is all fucked up. And the fact that you're having rolling blackouts in one of the richest places in the world is like really a microcosm of how this crony crony capitalism bullshit works. Yo. What's next? China, bruh. China and the N, the B, the A. Go off. Uh, Yeah, this is my wheelhouse. You know, I'm a big (laughs) NBA fan. Uh, Daryl Morey. I believe it was Daryl Morey. No, was it Daryl Morey? No, it was the owner of the Houston Rockets whose name I... Yeah, Daryl Morey. Daryl Morey. Oh, have confidence in yourself, young gunner. Exactly, you got this. Shukran, thank you. You know, I need that affirmation. He basically tweeted... I'm I'm just going to paraphrase it here. He was kind of like tweeting solidarity for the Hong Kongers in their fight for more autonomy in uh, in China. And apparently, I guess China got, of course, they got a hold of that. He, de- I think he deleted it, but they got a hold of it and they blocked the network that was showing the games in China. If you know anything about the NBA, the NBA is trying to become much more of an international, you know, movement. And they, they have a lot of players from outside uh, the United States and North America, and I think that they're trying to continue that effort to reach more of the world. And if you look at a market like China, 1.3 billion, uh, that's a market that you want to be a part of. Essentially, China was like, oh, you going to play around? Guess what? You shut down. You cut off. You know, the NBA is, is paying for that right now. And it's just interesting because of the conversations we're having about, you know, China and the United States and the geopolitics that go on between those two. And just having something like the NBA now be involved because it's so, you know, big globally. Multi, um, multinational corporations have no have no loyalty to a nation state. But again, I say for all of the people 
that uh, I feel like the NBA, if anything, no stance is the best stance because that all of that that's nation state shit. You shouldn't have any stance on that one way or the other because it doesn't affect you and it looks bad. How would Americans feel if there was a corporate company from China that was advocating for the autonomy of Hawaii or the 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 the, the, the the autonomy of Puerto Rico. That's such a good context to give. Americans I don't even think like, about it like that. Get the fuck out of our yeah. fucking business. It's so fucking audacious. You know what I'm saying? But American corporations think that they can be like, Hong Kong needs to be free. Bro, you don't know shit about that shit, bro. You really need to what shut the, the fuck, fuck up. What the fuck does Daryl Morey know about Hong Kong, China, political... The whole shit feel like an op. Sometimes it's better just to not say shit, bro. Yo, this shit plays out in all aspects, man. We were having a conversation, you know, just about... You know, our IG is always going crazy. Right. We, we, we post a lot of petty shit on our IG because, like, you know, we want to yeah. deliver y'all real life yeah. important information on this podcast. But I do sauce pretty often on that IG. Man, I, can, I can see it right now, bro. A, a Huawei ad during the Super Bowl. You know what I'm saying? Or during the NBA finals about, like, uh, and we just want you to know that we support a free and independent Hawaii. Yeah. Go the fuck off. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right, right, right. Like, Are you serious? This shit would be an international incident, bro. But Americans have so much fucking audaciousness. We feel like we could just tell other nations whatever the fuck we want. And that, that really is key to that kind of white supremacist understanding that you know best. That liberal, I know better than you type bullshit. When you motherfuckers know not shit. Because yeah, really again, if, if we don't want the fucking smoke with Turkey, who the fuck wants smoke with China? Yeah, pipe down. <laughs> Watch out a little bit. <laughs> China literally was like, watch out a little bit. <laughs> that's what, that's what I, I wanted to finish on this um, this last thing because, you know, I feel like we've been following the um, the Amber Geiger trial since since day one. You know, I, I remember the conversation we had a few months back um, just about uh, learning of, you know, the heinous crime that she committed uh, walking into both of Gene's uh, apartment and shooting, shooting him, him dead in cold blood, you know, while he was eating ice cream, watching television. If you remember our podcast, I think it was either last week or two weeks ago, we were talking about it and uh, Amber Geiger had gotten 10 years and we were talking about, you know, She'll the serve five, maybe, maybe yeah. not even that, though, because she's appealed the case and a key witness has been murdered. executed, yeah, shot in the face and then another shot to the head. Look, bro. I'm from the hood, bro. That's gangland shit. That's an assassination. That's yeah. not a shootout. That's not what happens in a shootout, man. And, and it's just like it, Joshua Brown. He, I've seen him in multiple videos. This motherfucker was in a, in a fucking Dragon Ball Z shirt. That's real some as fuck. Some shit like that. I'm sorry. Yeah, I I, yeah to, he was. No, I'm saying we supposed to believe this motherfucker secretly some kind of hood ass drug kingpin and yeah, shit. Yeah, let's, can Get we the stop? Fuck out of here. That's the Dragon Ball Z shirt that you're, you know what I'm saying, you're a little... 17 year old anime you know cousin wears or something you know like Fact. what does this say for me right if i'm a de- fucking defense attorney and i can't in cross-examination be like hey little nick don't you sell weed don't you sell a lot of weed right are you really the best person to really talk about police motives here and it, it's so it's just like uh remember we were watching um utopia that right. the show that we were watching you know it's like yeah. They just, they murder you, they create a story, a narrative that seems plausible to the public, they deliver that, and it's like, another, a no, there no conversation needs to be had after that. Right, no, because it's not, here's the thing, man, you, this is what you gotta understand about propaganda. Propaganda is not to make you believe something, it's to fucking render your action inert. So it's not so important that the DPD makes up a story that you can believe, it's just important that they make sure you ain't gonna do shit about it. And you ain't gonna do shit about it. Jay-Z, we're, the time for kneeling is done. 
How apropos. No, it's basically saying that it's Chamberlain. Chamberlain's out there again. Man. You know what I'm saying? This is what happened. And it's like, here's the spin. It's like, no fucking way. But it's another way, bro. It's another way. We just gonna have to talk to him. Roman boss is something you gotta deal with. So all of that collaborated, fabricated, it ain't gonna equal up to this real shit. Rihanna's bae. <laughs> Rihanna, you know, I was gonna ask you um, your thoughts. Because I feel like we always talk about... Bae. Yeah, Rihanna is fucking bae. Um, okay, <laughs> to the to the subject at hand, um, Rihanna did a Vanity Fair, you know, like just an interview, like, or had a, what do they call them when you do a, like an interview in a magazine? Is there like a particular... A feature? Feature, whatever. I guess it doesn't matter. Um, but essentially, they asked her a bunch of questions, and of course, uh, the NFL came up. You know, she was talking about like performing at the Super Bowl. They kind of asked her about it again, and I think it was brought back up, of course, because of ho hoves ho ass uh entangled sort of in the nfl's management how old was rihanna when she was on rockefeller i think she was under 20 man because she's only 31 right now like i just wondered you know what i'm saying because we all know this motherfucker's proclivity for barely fucking legal ask me being kind as shit but essentially this is when they asked her about you know, like, could you now that Jay-Z is sort of available, like, would you join, you know, like uh, a Super Bowl uh, halftime kind of celebration? And this is her quote. I couldn't dare do that. For what? Who gains from that? Not my people. I just couldn't be a sellout. I couldn't be an enabler. There's things within that organization that I do not agree with at all, speaking about the NFL, and I was not about to go and be of service to them in any way that's rihanna a person who's also on her way to like billion dollar status but when it comes to and i know actually i'm interested in both of y'all's opinion because you know my sister she keeps me up to date on a lot of like the gossip and the tea you know the shade room kind of shit you know i I need my little low frequency here and there i think we all do you know so and, and she loves rihanna she's she's she rides for rihanna and all the big artists you know what i'm saying she's not really for and i think i I kind of do rock with Rihanna. I kind of do fuck with her. And after this statement kind of really stamped that when it comes to the mega stars, I fuck with Rihanna pretty heavy. And like, where do y'all kind of stand on a, the statement and just sort of where Rihanna is right now as a person. I mean, you know, I don't, I don't know nearly enough about her, but I do know the things that I see. I'm very impressed with her business acumen is incredible. You know, she is one of the first people to really call Drake out for being the fuck boy that he is. Word. You know what I'm saying? I love you lose my number <laughs> you know what i'm saying like she's so like her her uh her intuition and her uh business acumen again alone are worth fucking with never mind the fact that she's fucking summertime fine even in the autumn uh Keita, do you have sort of anything to add per, per chance no i'm like your sister on this one i will defend rihanna to the death <laughs> she back seem like fenty really seemed to be something that quite changed the game is Rihanna saying, as a woman of color, one of the first things I want to do is like really attack the standards for what beauty should look like and, and making palettes that are darker palettes because it redefines what black beauty can look like. I feel like that's an incredibly powerful political statement and position. You know, again, that's just her kind of reading the fucking tea leaves in a way that that people have come before her that have had the money to do, but never did, you know? Yeah, no, I mean, that's fair. It's just I don't wear makeup, so I couldn't speak to you on Fenty. Like, I I feel like there's a lot of other people more qualified to talk about that, and then to talk about also, you know, yeah, Rihanna's a big 
for, like the big name to do it first, but let's not ignore all of the black women who are doing this independently. No, facts, facts. Super. Super has a fucking, uh, I mean, if y'all don't know who Super is, she's a New Orleanian comedian slash storyteller slash just hood chick who's fucking hilarious. You know, and she was the one that did the, the what was it, the crayons? Something like that. They called them the, the uh, it was, yeah, they looked like Crayola. And then fucking Crayola came and ripped her the fuck off. It was a big deal. Because, of course, they won. Crayola. Yeah. Like, is that? Like, to think of a crayon as, like, an evil corporation, but it, it really is, it you really know? It really is, man. They took her idea and stole that shit. But, yeah, man, no, so that just goes back to what you're talking about as far as, like, you know, black women have been doing this, but she's, of course, she doesn't have the kind of engine that fucking someone like Rihanna has. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but, but, and also, you know, I just want to also put it out there, too. I, I really liked Rihanna's last album. It was a, it was really, had a couple joints on there that I think were definitely classics, <clears throat> Um but you know, on uh, on talk to him, on talk to him, we do like to kind of get our um, get our bravado one and, and talk to y'all and just also, man, talk to these celebrities. You know what I'm saying? These people out here operating like they, you know what I'm saying? They got a license to say and do whatever it is. And if you've been sort of on the internet and you've been following the news, you know that um, Ellen DeGeneres sort of I don't know what how... she's an icon of LGBTQ third uh, wave uh, white feminism. Okay. Thank you for clarifying. I mean, it's a white. long, it's a long, yeah. So uh, what happened was she was invited to uh, AT and T Stadium, also known as Jera World, uh, owned by Jerry Jones, and was watching a Dallas Cowboy football game in the owner suite with. The uh, one and only war criminal, yeah, yeah. Let's call her what Michelle it is. Obama's boo thing. Uh, George W. Bush. They were hanging out, and they uh, there was a picture of them together, kind of laughing. And uh, of course, when you um, hang out with uh, war criminals, think about how oppressive his regime was to LGBTQ as a, as a people, like as a, as a demographic. But hey, you know, he as a person, he's okay. He's he's a cool guy. I want to have a beer with him. This is why, like, when we talk about coalition building, we talk about cancel culture. Like, I, again, where is the widespread, like, being... But but she's been this person. She's yeah. been this person for a long fucking time. Yeah, absolutely. And, and there's been a lot of, like, uh, celebrity... So essentially, there was a lot of backlash, of course, for it. And, uh, you know, there's sort of been a lot of celebrities. I think Jamie Foxx kind of came to her... Uh, to her defense, and uh, she went on her show and she had a response. Jamie um, Foxx, also known as Quentin Tarantino's other black friend. Yes. So fuck him. Exactly. But what I'm saying is she had a response, uh, and she kind of had it had it on her show. I don't know exactly. Kita, do you have um? Do you have it? I have like a snippet. Yeah. Can we? Apparently, she went on like a four minutes. Yeah. She went on some four minute white lady rants. You know how they be. You know you you work in a nonprofit. You're used to four minute white lady rants. Exactly. Uh, You know what's up. (laughs) Exactly. I I mean so I got this snippet here. Of course she says when we were invited, I was you know aware that I was going to be surrounded by people from very different views and beliefs, and I'm not talking about politics. I was rooting for the Packers. Here's the thing. I'm friends with George Bush. In fact, I'm friends with a lot of people who don't share the same beliefs that I have. We're all different. And I think we've forgotten that that's okay, that 
we're all different. But just because I don't agree with someone on everything doesn't mean that I'm not going to be friends with them. When I say be kind to one another, I don't only mean the people that think the same way that you do. I mean be kind to everyone. Doesn't matter. Ah, that's gross! Was he kind to the motherfuckers that was getting tortured in fucking Guantanamo Bay? The people that we still don't even know where all of the people are. Because those are motherfuckers that were literally just snatched away from their lives and taken and literally tortured. Was he kind to them? Was he kind to the million Iraqis that died so that Halliburton could come in and make motherfucking money? Fuck that. And that goes to really the core of why, like, these big, huge advocates for third-wave feminism, especially white third-wave feminists, they're not intersectional, and they don't understand how that shit works on a revolutionary framework. This was a person that, because she doesn't have to see that shit, because it was just a couple of news stories to her a couple of decades ago, it's not real. But you know what? It's very fucking real to the people whose lives were radically altered just because they happen to have the same name as somebody whose name came up on a fucking computer screen somewhere. Yeah, but his policies weren't kind to the LGBTQIA community either, and she is directly affected by that, but she's still friends with him. Right. But it's like this idea that, like, me and you might have a disagreement about what kind of particular... Marvel is great? Yeah, right? that's can, a disagreement. That's a disagreement. I can disagree. Are you a with human you. being? That's not a disagreement. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like we constantly. First of all, I just want to say, I think um, the celebrity worship that goes around everywhere is just has to stop. Like you have to call a spade a spade, and we can't be out here defending it. It happens on the Instagram all the time. It's like, here is us trying to hold people accountable. But what about that one song from Chris Brown? Yeah. Chris, you I know that one song I'm not wasting slaps. any time on Chris Brown today. We do not have the time. <laughs> <clears throat> but uh, if you know, you know type shit. If you're following us on Matrix Podcast, you know. It's, it's just like, why and how does this type of shit slide? And the second thing I want to ask y'all is, like, how privilege, how privilege sort of puts everybody together when when w came out on her show it was like literally a moment where like you get disgusted like you know ellen's whole thing is oh look at me i'm a white woman i dance badly but i'm having a good time so that's like the whole narrative when people come out on the show and they step out from the the green room Bro, or whatever I don't think backstage she, she dances badly she dances badly but i don't think she i think she thinks, thinks she dances pretty well right Right. yeah i think yeah. she thinks she got the fucking the notes you know i think she thinks she she got the source yeah, and she really doesn't. She she doesn't have the. She's basically like air conditioner juice. Like that's essentially <laughs> Boy, what it is. A desert that thinks it's got the drip. Right. It really doesn't. It's just a mayonnaise sandwich. But anyway, I digress. What I'm trying to say is, it just seems like when you have that type of white privilege, and we talk about how white women are just so incredibly oppressive and how they outsource their violence and all those different things. It's like sometimes because Ellen is like you know a part of the LGBTQI like demographic. She still is a rich, multi-millionaire white woman. And at the end of the day, most of her views are in line with George W. Bush, even though she probably would would love Obama and, you know, that's the type of person that she is. But, like, how how is it that white people can just be this oblivious where it's just like, I have to be kind to everyone? Like, well, like, she's on a whole nother level, though, right? Because now we're talking about class privilege. I remember watching an episode of Hot Ones. I know you hate that shit. And uh, it was the Migos. It's the Matrix, but go that. ahead. No, it really is. And uh, you know what I'm saying? I think it was Quavo, young Quavius, 
was talking about uh, how he was kicking it with <laughs> Ellen DeGeneres one day. And, you know, we was all sauced out. You know, we had all our bling on. He's like, if we talk big bank, talk little, take little bank. But she got big man. Yeah. Like, and it's the Migos talking about like, oh no. One of the richest rap groups in the world. Like her money's stupid money compared to our money. You know what I'm saying? And like even for them, young Quavius, to recognize like, nah, nigga. Because again, so it's not even like she's some kind of traitor. She's being genuine to her fucking class. Right? And and that it just goes to all of those different intersections, man. There's a very, very wealthy person who is more invested in the status quo than than any of us that think of ourselves as activists should ever be okay with. This is a question I've been meaning to ask, and I'm asking it to both of y'all. Like, when it comes to your friends and when it comes to, like, people that you keep in your inner or outer circle, even people you associate with, like, what are some of the things that you feel are, like, non-negotiables when it comes to, like... Because, like, all of your friends aren't going to be up to date on, you know what I'm saying, the latest woke material. Like we have to exist with people in all different aspects of life. What are some like non-negotiables when it comes to like dealing with your friends? And because we we just talked about, oh, we can have disagreements. Like I want to make sure like I understand and we understand like discourse is an important part of what we do. Like, but what are like certain aspects? Okay, this person views has this type of ideology I cannot allow you, or I don't want to continue to have you in my circle. I mean, for me, top of the list is you can't be anti-black, anti-communities of color. Um, if you stand for white people, then you got to get the fuck out of my circle. Yeah, baby, now we're rolling. Um, for me, I would say the, the single most important thing is you have to have the ability to still be malleable, right? Because not everybody is born with perfect knowledge, but you have to be in a position whereas once the knowledge gets there... You don't want to fucking sea lion motherfuckers. Like, this is knowledge you didn't have. We brought you this knowledge. We put you up on game. Like, just take this knowledge, recompile this shit, and become a better fucking person. Like, you still have to be malleable enough to know the shit you don't know, and sometimes you're wrong, and you can grow and be better. Like, motherfuckers that'll die on a ledge for, like, a wrong idea. Like, that shit that'll get the whole clique fucked up. Because, to, again, you're only as strong as your weakest link when you're putting together your coalitions. You really have to judge who you bring into your fucking clique and who you hold fucking close to you. There's people that are bad-ass activists that I fuck with, and they hold them very dear. There's also motherfuckers I came up with day ones in the fucking hood that are living very traumatized lives, that are trying to work themselves through the fucking shit that they were programmed to believe, and I got time for them. You know what I'm saying? Because I got love for them and they're my projects and I work with them to the extent that they welcome that and allow that. You know what I'm saying? They're not always in the places that that I'm in because I've had opportunities to afford myself the ability to make myself better than they have. And I'm here to bring that knowledge back on some Prometheus shit. We take this fire and we bring it back to the motherfucking people like Titans do. Yeah. And I mean, I think for me, when you it, it really it really hits me when it's like your white friends. It feels like to me, when I'm having conversations with them, it really is like such privileged problems. <laughs> like the conversations yeah. that you have surrounding people, and I've had this with my wokest white friends of all time, where you're just like, oh, you know, where's space for me? Where can I be seen? You know, how am I not supposed to be a gentrifier? Like how, you oh know, like how God, am I supposed yeah. to, where am I supposed to move? Where am I supposed to be? These are close friends of mine that not even, well, close friends, but I have people who say things like this to me, you know, I think I draw the line in a place where it's like, you kind of victimize yourself. Yes. Like, I, it's it, because I'm white. 
I now have to deal with the stigma that white people have given me. And even though I benefit from all of those things, I would like to not have those repercussions. And I think for me, that's like one of the main things that I look at when I'm like, I need to move you out of my circle. Yeah, you know, I think about like, I remember coming up in Arkansas, right? Back when I was trying to build the art scene in Little Rock, the Hot Springs uh, scene was always way more established because it's kind of like a little art city in the middle of the cut. And there was a dude who I looked up to quite a lot. He was a white poet that's a little bit more established than me because he had been in the game longer. He recently died, you know, but I remember, I remember him coming to me when I was throwing Southern Fried, right? And I had all of these different showcases. I had a, I had a woman showcase for poets uh, where it was just people that identified as women to perform, not in a slam capacity to get up and do poems that you wouldn't ordinarily be able to maybe get off at a slam stage. You know, I had a black open mic, a black performance where everybody could, I had an LGBTQ, you know, uh, showcase. And I remember a dude coming up to me and he's like, well, what about showcases for regular people? And I'm like, <laughs> and he hadn't thought about this shit. He had literally, like to him, th- what he was saying was like the most regular shit ever. And I'm like, bruh. Yeah, bruh. So do you, the only, the only shit that's regular to you are white men? Because that's the only demographic I didn't overly privilege. You know what I'm saying? And, if you were queer, there was still room for you, bro, because you could have got in on an LGBTQ fucking open mic, but that wasn't you. So that's not regular. Everybody else is irregular, which goes back to that whole shit of everybody else is a hyphenated American. And these, this is, again, this is not like, this is a person that had lots of fucking social justice poems, you know, tried to live a relatively do-good life as white people go, you know, and just like out of the court, he didn't see this shit as controversial at all to right. say a statement like that to me it's like not to understand like why like cis being cis is like an important statement people who live outside of that are othered oh no keep going this is great <laughs> we just trying to do right man all to right. the extent of the knowledge we got what's our stance on calling out problematic people i mean is that kind of what we do oh no i'm chilling with problematic it depends on what's the fucking problem what, what's the nature girls. of what you do why do niggas find you problematic okay what? but at this point, we all are probably like we're all human yeah, beings. We all sure. do fuck shit, man. My nigga, it's levels, bro. It's there are levels. I'm not saying I'm that saying. it's all the same, but I think we do need to recognize that we are all capable of doing fuck shit because, like, we're now getting caught up in this like Christian ideal of purity, and sure. then the puritanical of you have to do all of these things in order to be right, and we don't know how we're falling into that Christian kind of mentality and how detrimental it is to how we approach people. And not approach people in that I have to save you from yourself kind of thing. But like, hey, we also have to come into this self-examining ourselves and always kind of being aware of what are the ways that I have failed my friends, the people that I care about. How can I do better as a person? Well, Akita, I think you give a good point. You know, for me, it's like, are people willing to look within? Are people, you know, looking to you know, have that sort of idea of restorative justice. How can I heal the, you know I'm saying, the oppressive things and the ideologies that I felt? And I feel like I can meet almost anywhere, anybody anywhere, as long as they are ready to have that conversation and not be like defensive in that way. And I think for me, can you deal with pushback? And that's something that I do have a problem with, especially with my white friends. And it's like, as long as you're willing to have those like conversations and you're willing to look within on yourself, um, I feel like I can work with that. Yeah, but dealing with the pushback, but also coming back and being able to apologize for your behavior. Like, the white folks that I've been friends with came back and said, dude, my dad treated you like shit because you are black. 
and of course I'm biracial, but all he could see that is that I got brown skin, my hair is not straight. And it's and she came and apologized. And then of course she came and also said, Hey, because I love you more as a friend, I'm not fucking with half of my family. Because like coming back and recognizing all of the shit that I that she had to unlearn, that she then had to learn. Like, so it's it's also because like there's been a lot of white folks who will who will take that pushback I've seen, who will be like, hey, yes, I totally, Audre Lorde, you know, like <laughs> Susan B. Anthony. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then it's like, bitch, your father literally called me a nigger. Like, are you kidding me right now? Well, you know, that's just my dad. You know, he just lives from a different time. And it's like, we can't be friends, yo. Because <laughs> you are going to... You're going to talk the talk, supposedly, and, like, give all of these great buzzwords, but you are literally not living it in your life. Yeah, and I think that that's another, that's another aspect of this conversation that's important. Like, if, you're, if your family is oppressive and they say and do hurtful things, you need to hold those people accountable or you need to move on. No, like, that's not it's real shit. It's like you're saying. Because, like, I think about, like, think about... People whose opinions change. Like, my opinion of Erica Badu is forever altered, you know, because when we're talking about somebody like a fucking R. Kelly and she's like, yeah, but we got to make space for a lot of these girls are just fast ass girls and shit. Like, you know what I'm saying? It's like when you're kicking it with people is that problematic and you're not using this opportunity to educate them, to help grow them, to privately admonish them. You know what I'm saying? And like. Yeah, we don't know what those private conversations are, but it's tough to assume when your public conversation is, can we talk about these fast-ass girls, that your private conversation is anything very different it's from being that. an apologist. Like, these, this is the rhetoric used when we talk about sexual assault on, you know, minors. Right, right. And, you know, and it, it, it covers so much ground, man, because... You know, with me being polyamorous, I do a lot of fucking dating, you know, and you run you run into people and you hope that they're fucking as woke as you are, at least on the path. But, like, attraction is a lot, man. And, like, you're sitting there wondering, like, what is the level that I can give as information that doesn't change the power exchange of us? You know what I'm saying? Because that's not something you want to negotiate. Like, I don't want to have to be the person that has all the power because I'm the one that's the wokest motherfucker and I have to woke you through everything. You know, and it's like, I remember recently there was a girl I was really feeling on and like, she would just be like a Chick-fil-A all the fucking time. And this shit seems like such a small shit, but it's like, I, it can't be for me because it's like, you really are fucking with shit that is adding to the oppression of, you're funding the people that oppress people that I love. Like you're literally putting money in their fucking pockets so that they can fund back the blue so that they can fund queer conversion therapies you know what i'm saying it's like for a fucking chicken sandwich like you know and so like for me it reaches a point where it's like you want to you want that but you it gets to a point where you start enabling just like rihanna said and you don't want to be a part of that great way to bring it back (laughs) yeah no great way um are we any any more things that we want to give with paradigm shift bro how we gonna change it up on them what we do now and in the next few years will profoundly affect the next few thousand years. So, you know, here we are, 2019. A few year, a few months away, I should say. Three months away from an... The Roaring Twenties. Two and a half months. Math geniuses over over there. How many days? How many hours? How many seconds? 500,000. Give it to me in metric. (laughs) A lot. (laughs) I got 21 savage with the shit. 
How many days have we got? A lot. All right. <laughs> a lot. Why did I even? A lot. Yeah, you brought this on yourself. Too. I did. I did. So I, I, I thought it would be good to, I don't know, just kind of look back at this decade. You know, look at the big shifts that occurred, like the paradigm shifts. Like what happened in this decade that sort of shifted the world in a way that it can never go back. Something that happened for me was the murder of Trayvon Martin. What sort of that created, like it was a movement that was created on social media. It went directly into the mainstream news. And we kind of, it was really kind of like the trial of the century, I feel like. We kind of witnessed everything that happened leading up to Zimmerman, you know what I'm yeah, saying? Like yeah. him becoming such a huge figure. We talk about like the alt-right and I feel like Zimmerman is a huge, huge hero, you know, of the alt-right. Just watching that trial unfold and I remember I was coming back from New York with some of the, the young people that I'm privileged enough to work with and I remember when the verdict of not guilty had came out. Uh, actually, we were at the New Yorican. We were doing the DCU Slam. And we were walking back to our car to travel back to DC. And that's when we got the news. It was just a very difficult conversation to have and, you know, to be a part of it. And I just think about how much that trial sparked a lot of things for me because that's, you know, when I started going to protests, when I started to meet activists in Washington, DC. And when I started kind of came into my own, you know, to kind of have this radical view of um, of a utopian lifestyle, you know, that really changed a lot for me. And, you know, I just kind of wanted to to see where you guys were at, you know, with that and sort of your own ideas of like, what is a paradigm shift that uh, sort of existed in this decade that really changed you in the way that you thought? Well, for me, I think uh, an obvious thing was watching, uh, if it has to be the way I thought, uh, mine is more community. I felt like uh, Richard Richard Spencer really changed a lot that as far right. as like conversation. Mm-hmm. he was able to, he was the first guy to really be savvy enough. I think about what was that movie with um uh, what was it American uh, American History X with yeah, Ed American Norton? History X right when they're talking about what the new breed of like the Nazi needs to look like and Richard Spencer totally reimagined that he rebranded it he was the slickness slick enough to understand nobody wants to be called a Nazi proper I mean uh, no media wants to openly run with that right you can believe that same ideology but to brand it we have to brand it something different so he comes out his hair is slicked he's got the beard you know he looks like a lumber fucking sexual you know and they have him on these these magazines and it's like oh wow He's an attractive man. Not that he's an attractive man, but he doesn't look like... He don't got a fucking swastika on his fucking forehead, you know, and born to die tattooed on his fucking knuckles. He looks like your accountant. He looks like the guy that gives you a loan fucking, you know, uh, a loan assessment. He looks like the kind of guy that you might meet in regular life. He's disarmingly schmegular. Exactly. And so it gives code, it gives clearance for the regular people that have been feeling that way, the reg- because they are the yeah, regular people. Like, let's not forget. Like, they are this the mass majority, racist white people. Percentage, and this is what, like, liberals refuse to acknowledge, right? They gaslight us all the time, and they're like, oh, it's just a small portion. 53% of white women alone voted for Trump. I absolutely believe the vast majority of white people that are not overtly anti-racist in their, in their whole life bent secretly believe a lot of the shit that Richard Spencer is about. They believe in a white America, a white Christian America, and really kind of fuck everybody else. And he gave them the language, the branding, and the okay to say, 
it's okay to be this kind of way. There's nothing wrong with this. I, yeah, so I mean, I guess mine is technology, which sounds ubiquitous, but I mean, for this past decade, what we had to deal with was definitely, I mean, mass surveillance was happening, but happening to such a degree that our social media is now getting mined, um, finding out about how all of these things that were supposed to help us technologically, like personalization, usability, user interface, things that are supposed to be intuitive were then used to like drive the way that a lot of people think and interact with the world. And then even the gig economy kind of rising because of course they call themselves technology companies instead of employers, you know, so then they can disrupt all of the safety nets that we had in place. And of course the courts and even the governments don't feel like they can regulate them because it's technology. And the, and the idea that technology is moving so fast and so away from us that just like the telephone companies back in the, are you talking about the 80s? I mean... Yes, yeah, but like the, how the big telephone companies were really trying to escape all of that government regulation. 80s and the 90s. 80s and the 90s. It's happening again with all of these big tech companies, not just Google and Facebook, but of course Uber, Airbnb, which is causing all of these problems where people, you know, can't get affordable homes, but people can't even get fucking health insurance because they're considered contractors instead of employees. And I just think about how all of that is getting exacerbated in these last 10 years in a way like, I love technology. I love having access to the internet, but how that overwhelming amount of information is making it difficult to interact in the world too. Would y'all say that at this point, surveillance is the number one financial, the number one financial benefit of having a social media company? Oh, absolutely. I mean, because more, yeah, more than just watching you, it's being able to get that metadata so they can make predictive models for consumers. That's incredible. Like for a long time, that was the that was the um, that was the province of really information, like government kind of company, and it's no longer. Like now, Coca Cola has as great a fucking profile on you as probably the FBI. You know, maybe better. You know, way better. I mean, Google and Facebook admitted that that especially with the. Uh all of the court cases that are coming out now and even the EU trying to kind of combat a lot of that. But like they have so much information on you and it's down to facial recognition software because of course communities of color were talking about how a lot of these, unfortunately that a lot of these tech companies couldn't recognize people with darker skin. But of course, as the technology gets better, it's like, yeah, you're going into the database too. Don't worry, we'll get you. (laughs) Do y'all remember when we went to the portrait gallery and there was an art exhibit in there that basically showed how they gained sort of pinpoint accuracy of all aspects of your face and knowing your emotive state based upon the way that your eyes are moving. Right. Like it was like, Oh, sad, angry, happy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but it even comes in in the way you interact with the internet where it has this metadata on you, and so then it can kind of determine what... It's like the ads that follow you. And it's so creepy because, of course, now, like, a Moja will sometimes watch a video, but I'll see... And I'm like, I we never watch it together. He's only, like, showed me on his phone, but somehow that video is now appearing on my phone because we were in proximity together, even though I'm on a completely unrelated website, right? Like, I'm on a knitting website, and suddenly this video is following me. Like, that's the creepy shit we have to deal with now. Well, I think it's interesting you talk about metadata. Like, metadata at this point is used by even small organizations, right? I was reading 
I think it was yesterday, or maybe I saw this on Instagram, It's but they were talking about how ankle monitor services are now, they're gaining metadata based off of how like people who have to be on monitors right. act, what they're talking about, not only what they're talking about, what the people around them are talking mm-hmm. about, they're able to record conversations surrounding mm-hmm. them. Like every aspect of having an ankle monitor is you are being monitored. And metadata, I think like you were talking about, that comes from social media. Hey, I, hey, who can we put all this back to? Deb, Ellen's best friend. Created the metadata security state. That's in addition to all of the torture, all of the fucking wars, all of the fucking lies. But hey, you know what? Let's just practice kindness. Yeah, because employers are sometimes doing this. They call it a health initiative, but it's actually bio-testing. Essentially, we're kind of breaking down, like, exactly your health, and that goes into a database. And what? It, yeah, I mean, like, there's just so much shit that, so much of our lives that go into database. And what makes it even more insidious is, of course, they talk about an entire generation now who've only grown up being under the panopticon, essentially. And so they don't find anything wrong with it. But the fact that, like, babies' faces, now, you know, those companies and the government can track from that baby literally being born to them being an adult and literally every decision that they make. And that's terrifying. When you have a baby, you you put it up on Instagram, You totally do. You post all the cute baby pictures. You post, like, because you're trying to track it to show all of your friends how the baby is doing and what's going on. But when we're talking about mass surveillance and that kind of tracking, literally that baby can't escape the world because none of that information can get deleted under current privacy laws because it's not even considered private. It's crazy to think that you can basically be surveilled from birth to death at this point. Like if you're Generation Z, there's a chance or I don't know what the generation, the young people that are being born in the last four or five years, they're going to be a part of a different generation, I assume. That generation is definitely going to be surveilled since birth to death. That's pretty dystopian. And it sucks too because by the time those kids realize what's going on, they're asking their parents like, you have to check in with me. You cannot post my shit on your social media. And of course as adults, like a lot of adults are ignoring them. Well, you're my child and I want people to see you. Don't you want your grandparents to know how you're doing? Instead Mm. of respecting that this, even though they're a child, they have their own rights to privacy. They have their own rights as a human being where they want their pictures to be posted, how they want them to post it, how they want to interact with this global social media audience. And I think that's pretty much all of the things that we have. But you know, one thing that we didn't do, one thing that we really kind of was remiss about. What? We didn't really truly introduce them to who Keita Marshall is. Why are you on this show? Talk your shit. We do it like they do at the end of Hot Wings. No. You You know when it's like, fuck Hot Wings. But you know what it's like? It's like when the band plays, you know what I'm saying? And the and the drummer's been in the background getting it basically for the last forty five minutes, and you're like, oh, shout out to the band. That's like our moment. This is our shout out to like, <laughs> you know, talk the that rest shit. Of the Tell us who you are and why you deserve to be on this show. Cause I'm friends with y'all. No, stop it, stop it. I happen to be in the house today. <laughs> it's not true. First of all, I love y'all and support y'all. Every, and this podcast is fucking amazing. Okay, all right. So, Sobe, let the Leos work now. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Motherfucking Kaveh Conum, graduate fellow, legend of the fucking South, legend of the fucking Arkansas poetry scene. Mm-hmm. 
She's basically like the shy day of poetry. It's like once, once ass, yeah. it's like once in a Dead while ass. she drop a poem and drop everybody jaw. You know what I'm saying? And then she won't come back for another eight years. And, and you know that shit is real because like we're just, <laughs> just fucking hosting icon in the city of DC, right? Right? Woman of the world poetry slam champion, national poetry slam champion, and she's literally saying the same shit like. You know we waiting for that word, Keita. We, yeah. we know, you know what I'm saying? When, yeah. when the baddest of the baddies are like, but what's she about to drop yeah. though? No, it's like um my very good friend Ichel, you know, she she told me something I never forgot. She said, you know, I think you're gonna be an artist for artists. And that's what I think about like with Keita. Like she's a poet for poets. Like poets anticipate what she's about to come out with. What sign are you, Keita? Aries, Aries, uh, but I'm on the cusp of Pisces. Oh yeah, you know we got we, you know everybody. Everybody is invited, not just Leos. Cusps are all, are on here. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> all of that. Air signs, fire signs, water signs. Man, we accept everybody. You know Gang. what I'm saying? Gang shit. Um, I had a, a few things I just wanted to to say to kind of I don't know, just some some things, some celebrations I think that are important. This past week. We have officially gotten on to uh, have listens and downloads on all habitable continents. You know what I'm saying? Can we give ourselves a round of applause? Habitable continents. We're all on habitable continents. A habitable continents would be a good name for a band. Um, We are on all continents. Uh, this is something else I wanted to say. This is our 20th episode. Oh, the big 2 Oh, shit. One more episode. And it'll our, be able to drink. It will, but you know, I'm, I'll leave it up to y'all. <laughs> Tecumseh said that, 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 that the alcohol is just being used to, to give away our native autonomy, man. Any, anything else, man? Any, any final notes y'all wanted to give before we shut this thing down? I know it's kind of been a long episode, but I think it was well worth it. Yeah, we still gotta we gotta still gotta go see the fucking incel fantasy. Oh, we're gonna go see see Joker tonight. Um if y'all like hit us up on the email, exit the matrix podcast at gmail.com. Kinda give us your What did y'all think about this shit? What did y'all think of Joker? We'll we'll talk about it next um next podcast. Yeah, I it's think been it's been too long since we had a real comic breakdown, bro. Yeah. Tita, will you be able to join us next week? Put yeah. you on the spot. Absolutely. Hey, hey. hey y'all can talk that 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 comic book shit. I don't know nobody. They know comics like Keita Marshall and fucking Lauren Bullock. Yeah, man. give her yeah. props, man. Lauren Bullock, <laughs> if you listening, you know what I'm saying? You here in spirit, for sure. Yeah. I feel like all the time, but I feel like this... Um, Motherfuckers so. talk that blurred shit, man. That's why, like, yeah. I never understood those dudes like, I don't know black girls did read comics, nigga. Because you don't know black girls. You can just stop the fucking sentence right there, bro. <laughs> Word. Shit. We out Factual. <laughs> Factual. Yeah, and like, you know, on some real, I guess we don't do enough. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Like, you, can you tell your friends about us? You know what I'm saying? Get on our, our, our uh, we're on Facebook too. We do podcast for the fucking true left. Yeah, man. You know Come on, saying? man. Like, we need to, you know what I'm saying? We need your support. We appreciate y'all are listening, you know what I'm saying? But if we're going to get bigger, man, it's going to have to be our our audience, man. And, and we do appreciate y'all tremendously. But like I said, we're trying to reach everybody, as they say in Washington, D.C. I'm trying to reach the people that need to hear it. And you know who need to hear it. You heard it. You know what I'm saying? You know who in your clique need to hear it. it we ain't got to be the biggest platform because that ain't for me ever. I just want to be the ones that fuck with the people that fuck with the people. Yeah, you know we serving to the people out here on this type shit. And, um, you know, that's it. That's our show. We out. Woo! <laughs>